You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> I'm Cass. I'm Emma. This is Honey Do Me Podcast. Podcast. Mm-hmm. Even though it sounds like your name, it's not just it's yours. It's not. It's both of us. Yeah. Um, and what do we talk about here on Honey Do Me? Having sex. Having sex. Uh, getting to getting loving on. <laughs> getting the love relationships. On. Yeah. Confidence. Confidence. Um, and just having a good time. <laughs> we are all about. We just uh, want to ha- be happy to be here. Yeah. In life, and here I mean the world. The, the world. <laughs> That's the community we're trying to build here. Yeah. So welcome. Welcome. Um, I have an update. Yes, you do. I am wearing a sweater set. A lovely one at that. Thank you. But for tops that I wear over tank tops, mm-hmm. from now on, they will be called my cover top. Oh, how cute. <laughs> There's a TikToker, and they do get ready with me's, and um, they always wear a brooch and a cover top. Where's your brooch? You know, when my sister started sending me these get ready with me's with this mm-hmm. TikToker, I was like, whatever fucking happened to brooches, man? Like, why don't we still wear? I think we then- should hit up G Will. And- <laughs> <laughs> but Gabby, my roommate, mm-hmm. was like, I don't think noth- nothing happened to them. Mm-hmm. People just don't start wearing them usually until they're older. Yes. I want to bring that back. And this TikToker, whose name I'm now forgetting, they started it. Bring and it I want to fuck back. You should get a me. crystal vagina brooch. Or vulva brooch. Just labia. Yeah. <laughs> I want crystal labia, crystal penis. Imagine, have you seen the other TikTokers that do like condom earrings? Yes. Those are fucking yes, cool. Those are fun. I love we them. We should get them. We absolutely they made a should. Valentine's Day once. I saw those. I loved them so much. I stared at them for so long. They were so glossy. So, <laughs> so glossy. Um, and I love that transition them. because... Um, Condoms could be the cover top of the penis. Yes, mm-hmm. correct. That is the penis cover top. Mm-hmm. Um, but no brooch. No brooch. Ouch. Stabby. <laughs> Unless you like it that way. That's really your business. Yeah, that's <laughs> really your business. I guess a brooch, what would be considered a brooch for a penis? Like a cock a ring? sticker? Oh. <laughs> Two different ways. Both valid. Yeah. Both valid. Both valid. That's not even kind of what we're talking about today, though. No, but brooches are quite the beautiful transition because other things that happen when we're older are hormones change. <laughs> and I feel like hormones are very widely talked about right now. We're all uh-huh. about balancing our hormones, understanding yeah. our hormones, and like, get it. Mm-hmm. Get, get your it. shit on. <laughs> um, but a lot of shit's going to happen, and it's going to happen a lot sooner than you think. Mm-hmm. Today we're talking menopause. Don't turn off. Don't turn around. The episode. Don't come back. Yes, come right back. Come right back. Give us a chance. Did you know that you should have started thinking about? Okay, you didn't. <laughs> there's no shoulds. I'm not gonna should yet. But you could have been thinking. You're just shooting all over. Them. I'm shooting all over them. Menopause is like a complete reflection of when we got our first periods. Mm-hmm. So it's our last, <laughs> and it's our last. But I just I didn't realize how much because we were talking like. Okay, what do we need to do? And there's still things mm-hmm. that we can do in our 20s and our 30s, whatever, to prepare for this hormonal shift. But also a lot is predetermined mm-hmm. from like puberty. You're born with it, baby. And what that says, like when you hit puberty, what that says mm-hmm. about um, how your hormones will change throughout the rest of your life and the type of sex you're going to be having. Yes. Uh, the quality of life you're going to be having as you get older and your hormones change and what's happening now. I mean- it was kind of mind-blowing. Absolutely. It is such a mind-blowing episode. And we know that menopause doesn't sound like the sexiest topic to talk about, 
But mm-hmm. this is the thing that like this is the kind of information that we need to know now because we talk about now all of the things that we should have learned in high school. Yeah. Like we should have learned how to do that. We should have learned how to do this. This is what we need to be learning in our 20s and 30s so that when our 40s come, yes, mm-hmm. 40s, mm. we're fucking ready. Like how they should have taught about uh, credit cards and bank statements yes. in high school. Exactly. Because why are you learning about it when you're already going through it? Yes. That's terrifying. Exactly. What symptoms to look for. Mm-hmm. All that shit, man. You should not be learning about menopause as you're going through it. And also, what does that say about like how we talk about our own bodies in our own phases? Mm-hmm. It, there's like a lot of shame wrapped up in phasing out of what would be your childbearing, your childbearing years. years, you know, and what, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I think it's all very interesting. And the fact that we haven't talked enough about it says a lot about sex ed and how we view our bodies and all that stuff. Absolutely. So we have Dr. Shama on the podcast. She is dynamite. A stunner. <laughs> Love her. Um, and she answers every question and explains all of it. She's a professional menopauser doctor. <laughs> No better intro than that, my guy. <laughs> You're so, welcome, Dr. Shama. Softball this over to Dr. Shama. Uh, and we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> um, I am Shama Matthews. I am a board-certified OBGYN. I focus on minimally invasive GYN surgery and general gynecology. So most of my practice is built out of um, patients who are seeking care outside of pregnancy. So that might be adolescent care or menopause care or chronic pelvic pain care, all of those kinds of things um, related to GYN. And then I also do GYN surgery, so robotics and laparoscopic surgery, minimally invasive surgery um, for benign, like so non-cancer GYN concerns. Um, I practice in central New Jersey. I trained in New York. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I'm also a medical advisor for Playground, which is a women's um, personal lubricant company. And um, I'm personally very excited about it because it's women run, women focused. And that's something that's pretty unique in this particular industry. Absolutely. Well, we're so excited to have you. And we're excited to approach this topic with you and get some perspective and knowledge because it's a topic that we've never really been taught about, taught about, and that's menopause. So could you first start with explaining what menopause is? Sure. Um, so menopause is interesting because it's a retroactive diagnosis. So you diagnose menopause when a woman has gone one full year without having a period. Um, and that's not having a period for other causes. Um, so it meaning like other hormonal concerns, other medical issues that, that could cause missing a period for a long time. But when you just miss a period and everything else is normal for one full year, that's what we call menopause. Okay. And does that happen at a specific time in our lives? Yes. Like what time yes. is that? So what would be considered a normal time would be sort of after the age of 45. The average age is 51, um, plus minus a few years, obviously. Um, And then there's also an interesting case called perimenopause. And that is literally the entire time leading up to menopause when our hormones are fluctuating. So that could be anywhere near five to seven years before you actually reach menopause, you could be going through perimenopause. So you could be having all the symptoms of menopause, but not quite missing a full year's worth of a period. Um, And that is all of perimenopause. So that can be pretty distressing because a woman doesn't quite know what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of changes can be going on all over the body. Um, And without really kind of knowing what's happening, it can be difficult to approach. I've had women go to multiple specialists before someone even suggested, hey, is this hormone related? Like, could it be menopause? Um, so so that's an interesting phase as well. That is a lot younger than I thought you were going to say. Uh-huh. I don't know why in my head I'm like, yeah, 70s. <laughs> that, that must be it. That must be the time. Um, we are a lot closer then I thought so we were. Yeah. Then I thought, not yeah. like <laughs> we are coming up on forty-five. You and I, um, not quite. <laughs> so, 
So can um, you? We're all coming up on forty five. Yeah, right? yeah. Like forty five is just around the bend for like everyone. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I think that's part of the problem because no one, no one feels like they're almost forty five. Like it just springs on you. So that's the thing. Like it, it really does sneak up on you. And there are things that you can do to sort of prepare or be mindful of what's happening to your body. I definitely want to get into all those things. I'm wondering if we can talk about the symptoms a little bit more mm-hmm. first to get a better understanding of what happens during or sure. after menopause. Is menopause just like you, that's like your last, like you stop having a period is, or is it like a, does it encompass like that last part of your life? Is it just a stage that you go through? So it's, yeah, so it's like, so the phase is actually missing that period for a full year. And then okay. after that point, you are post menopause. So that's the rest of your life, right? Like, yeah. till whatever age that may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the symptoms can start. That's where that symptoms kind of comes like before and after that point, that like one year phase where like you like miss that period for a whole year. Um, all of the symptoms can kind of start up way before that actually when you're still having regular periods you could still start noticing some of these symptoms and they may actually continue after you stop having your last period as well so after that one year like it's not like oh everything gets better (laughs) unfortunately those things can kind of linger on for some time as well and there's different like characteristics like they're starting to study that a little bit more as far as like okay women who start menopause earlier like how long do they go through menopause versus women who start menopause later etc how it relates to like when you first get your period um if you've had children or not like all these different kinds of aspects are studying that now and starting to get more and more data on that um but really the symptoms are uh they're actually quite varied the sort of top ones that people notice um, would be like hot flashes, right? So really feeling like women kind of describe it as this like central sort of burning, like hot, like central, like um, heating up that kind of like flushes them up like and down. Um, and so they kind of feel like there's like a little furnace like running in me. That's how they describe it. Um, so like these hot flashes, night sweats, waking up at night, like completely drenched, like you're those. sweating at night, <laughs> despite the temperature. Um, mood changes, irritability, like the PMS thing kind of going out of whack, even though like you might've been fine for years. Um, some women describe it kind of feeling like a teenager again, like your hormones are sort of like out of whack. That's what's happening. So, you know, your moods are up and down, your, um, your, you know, your breasts feel tender more than often. Like you're, you feel bloated more than often. Your skin is weird. You're all of a sudden you're having like acne, like that you haven't had in like 20 years. So, you know, those kinds of things start happening. Um, there's a sleep disturbances. You're waking up at night, like not quite understanding, like you're not sleeping a full night anymore. It's tossing and turning and those kinds of things. Um, so there's a varied approach and there's, and then there's, there's a variety of symptoms that are quite strange as well. Feeling cold, um, heart palpitations, um, tingly fingers, like there's all sorts of other stuff that's sort of rare, but people notice. And then we kind of put back together, um, with all of the other things that are going on and kind of trace it back to hormone changes. Damn. Well, I don't want to shit on all that because I know that that's not, not the end of your life, but also I have a question. Uh, why it might sound very like elementary of a question, but why do we go through menopause? What is happening in our bodies that makes us have our last period? So basically, you know, our reproductive organs are only functional for a certain amount of time. We only have a certain amount of eggs to release every month with the goal of fertility, right? Like that's unfortunately what we're built for. (laughs) Um, And then at the end of that, when that sort of is dwindling, it's it's almost like a way for the body to not spend resources on something that is no longer viable, right? Like it's no longer a goal. It's not primary. It's not um, sustaining the the purpose anymore. So that's what it is. It's basically the end of that being the primary goal and function of our bodies. So our hormones, which they, they pick up the cycle. And so we have a normal, quote unquote, normal, everyone's normal is a little different, but like whatever it is, cycle for this period of time where we are, you know, reproductive age or 
fertile, right? Like during that time. And then when that dwindles, you start having sort of um, changes in that cycle. It's no longer a cycle. The hormone levels sort of fluctuate. They're not quite as regular. They're sort of trying to figure themselves out. They're not getting the right prompts. They're not being sort of signaled the right, the, the same way. And it's that start of no longer needing that function. So that's where that happens. But, you know, a lot has changed and we mm-hmm. live a lot longer beyond menopause and we still have lives and very functional and full lives after menopause. So a lot of what we're talking about these days are how do we make that life still as robust and great and full as the rest of our lives? Like, because our primary goal and purpose now in this time and era is not fertility, right? Like it's, it's just being like, it's our being. So how do we make our being and our personhood full beyond menopause? Got it. This may be a really specific question and I don't know if other people are interested, but I am. And this is, I'm doing this. It's my (laughs) podcast. What, like what is actually happening with the hormones? Like which ones are going up and which ones are going down? Like what hormones are causing all of this? So estrogen and progesterone are the, the estrogen and progesterone are the, the, prime um, figures in our hormone management, right? There's also testosterone, there's cortisol, there's all these other things as well. But like, those are the two sort of GYN hormones. That's what's regulating our cycles are, when do we ovulate? Is our uterine lining building? When do we have a period? Um, All of those things. So those hormones are going down, but it's not as clean cut as that. It's not like it's just sort of like, you know, straight slope down, it's actually quite erratic in the years leading up to it. And so that's what brings on all these like different symptoms. It has to do with the fact that it's quite erratic and it's up and down and unpredictable (laughs) in those years before it sort of dwindles down to below the mark that induces a period. Okay. And what happens to your uterus once you are like post-menopausal like mm. does it stay what happens I imagine it doesn't like there. fall out okay yeah. <laughs> does, it, does wow. it like just shrink it all <laughs> I don't know like a raven it falls into the like, ashes I don't know does like less nutrients go to it I don't know um yeah that's a that's actually a pretty good question no the uterus kind of hangs out um the ovaries do shrink actually they get a little bit smaller because they're no longer you know producing eggs are not ovulating they don't need to like develop follicles so they're you know kind of fuller and more robust like during our fertile years because they're constantly being sort of stimulated and afterwards they do kind of shrink they don't disappear normally um they do get quite smaller um the uterus itself stays about the same size um maybe a little bit smaller i don't know that we've had like real comparisons women who have findings in the uterus like things like fibroids for example their fibroids do get a little bit smaller um, so things like that do, you're right, because they're driven by hormone and they're no longer being stimulated that kind of, you know, sort of, you know, shrinks down a little bit. So we're not like carrying around a dead organ. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and then can we go through menopause and still have eggs in our ovaries or are all our eggs gone by the time we're hitting menopause? Um, it's not that the, yeah, it's not that all of the eggs are gone they're just not being released because they're not being triggered um but then typically by that point most of our eggs are also not necessarily in the best shape right because um, they start to wither the eggs right? That we have. right yeah they become well so we're born with all the eggs we have and then we actually lose a significant amount of them before we even reach for like puberty um and then we lose it's not like we lose one every time we ovulate we actually lose a certain amount like you know kind of throughout the time and then when we reach the point of menopause it's not that they're all spent it's just that they're not being stimulated anymore but also at that point we worry a little bit about the quality of the eggs because they they kind of probably changed a little bit over time mm-hmm. that makes sense so interesting it is so interesting are there any good things that happen during menopause. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
um, after menopause, you can't get pregnant. <laughs> there you go. So that's a plus. You yeah. can totally have fun and not have to worry about like getting knocked up. So that's mm-hmm. kind of a fun thing. Um, yeah, I mean, you do, you can kind of create that as sort of a bit of a sexual liberty in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are changes that happen to our body, but it's about responding to them, about sort of anticipating them. What can you do to um, aid that change to make it not cumbersome or problematic but you know kind of embrace it uh there there are so those would be sort of like the good positives kind of thing that happens Mm -hmm. it definitely sounds scary and I feel like the only way I've ever heard menopause talked about is in a very like scary way or like people going through menopause and talking about how much it sucks or like just in the same way that you know periods get joked about Mm -hmm. it's like oh you're on your period that's why you're being a bitch Mm -hmm. like going through (laughs) menopause and this is like my dark years of Mm -hmm. being so unpredictable and you know intolerable I know I I agree with you and actually I think for a long time women have been sort of gaslighted that that like is normal and they should just put up with it and stop bitching about it like fine. It's just your place as being a woman. Oh, it's your age. Well, it's menopause. Deal with it. Um, And I think that's sort of the big thing for me is like, you don't have to suffer that we have a lot of solutions and a lot of options. It's just a matter of like one being educated and seeking out someone that's going to, you know, open that world to you, open those options to you and not just tell you, Oh, put up with it, like deal with it. Stop complaining. Right. Um, So whether it, it, it is, you know, um, hormonal or non-hormonal or um, supplements or acupuncture or mindfulness and you know meditation all of these things there are, there's been studies that actually looked at how all of these things affect your experience through menopause and it can be completely manageable and completely you know navigated in a way that it is doesn't have to be this like falling off a cliff terrible experience mm-hmm. yeah That makes me think about in college, uh, we were both in like sociology, anthropology, and I learned a lot about how different interpretations of like birth impact your experience of birth. So like people in different countries have very different experiences Mm. with birth and like pain level and all of that. And I've never birthed a child, so I can't speak specifically to that, but I think it's super interesting how your like the social context around something impacts the experience of it Mm -hmm. so drastically. Right. Yeah. I can completely understand that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if you approach something already with an inbred, inbuilt fear of it, right. Um, Dread of it, Mm -hmm. you're going to approach it differently than knowing it's something that you can tackle, you can handle as long as you have the right tools. Mm -hmm. So Cass and I have both had issues with finding um, healthcare providers that have one listened to us completely and two offered solutions that aren't just putting us on medication, whether it's our period, our cramps. Mine used to be uh, like around sex and not feeling like a sex drive anymore. So with menopause, what is important in finding a doctor that's going to help you find like solutions that are wide and open and not just like, oh, sucks. This is kind of what you're going through. You know, yeah. like how do we find a caregiver that can help so your provider? That I now? practice in Jersey in, you know, sort of Northern America. So there's the North American Menopause Society is an incredibly good resource. One, as far as something that you could go to the website and they have patient resources as well, as far as what to expect. And then there's also a database of providers who are certified under the North American Menopause Society. So I'm a certified provider, which means I went through an exam and I have to keep up my credits by taking a certain number of classes or courses or attending their conference on menopause specific content um, every two years. (laughs) So it's actually pretty stringent. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a great resource in the North American countries. Um, and then the European society, there's a, there's a similar kind of mimic mirror European society, which is amazing as well. Um, both conduct great re, uh, research in, on the topic as well. And then they publish those studies in their, in their um, uh, publications and then also present them available to patients to, to reference. So that's a great place to start, I would say. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, resource definitely and awesome that 
you kind of get like a checkup every two years and you're staying current with things that are coming mm-hmm. up and maybe new mm-hmm. solutions that can help different people. I wish yeah. we had doctors before that, you know, had to do that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah. And I, and I will say just having recently kind of completed their um, recertification this past year, um, their conferences do include things that aren't medication focused. Like what's, what's the latest on supplements? What's the latest on non-hormonal options and therapeutics as far as like, how do they work? What are the studies? Unfortunately, the studies aren't that great. And that's, that's really the bottom line for a lot of things because they're a little bit hard to study. Um, but they do present what's available. And then again, you're dealing with practitioners who are sort of focused on this. So then they have a huge patient base and even their personal experience as far as, you know what, I know the study doesn't necessarily say that this is the case, but I have had patients that that, that's worked for. So why don't you try it? Let's, let's give it that an opportunity and you an opportunity to try that um, before we go on to other things. So we can still kind of work with patients with what, what's important to them. What's, what are their goals? What are they trying to achieve without necessarily being like, well, this is the only route or, or saying that, you know, well, there's nothing to do. Mm -hmm. What kind of medications and supplements are generally uh, prescribed or used as well as like what lifestyle changes, I guess, are generally. Yeah, that's a a topic in itself, right? (laughs) So how do you manage menopause? Like what are the Mm -hmm. things you can do? So I'll start with some basic stuff. One, awareness. So even just like what what we were talking about, what you were talking about from that sociology aspect of like knowing what you're going through and sort of um, acknowledging it and and knowing that that's what that's what what's happening, the mindfulness surrounding that. There's actually been good studies about how cognitive behavioral therapy, and mindfulness, and meditation actually help um, patients who have uh, frequent or very intense hot flashes. When they start using mindfulness techniques, their hot flashes reduce in number and in intensity. Right, like so, you sort of acknowledge the fact that that's what's happening, and that helps you bring it down, as opposed to bringing it into like a panic mode where you're like, Oh my God, I'm like flustered. And it's, it's escalating because you're not uh, meeting it and acknowledging it and bringing it down. Right. Like that mindfulness technique aspect of it. So there's good studies on that. So that's like, I mean, that's not easy, but it is a very, uh, I don't know, validating kind of thing to tell patients as well. Right. Like when you sort of name it and you tell them what they're going through and you teach them what they're going through, like, the fact that they can identify it and then not feel so scared or vulnerable in the situation and control that, you know, for themselves is, is really important. Um, and then as far as supplements, there are quite a few available. There's tons marketed. I honestly, patients will be like, Oh, I, I read this or this popped up on my Instagram. Like, would this be helpful? And honestly, I have to be honest. I was like, I don't know everything that's out there, but you know, there are some things that we know evening primrose oil, black cohosh, um, ashwagandha. Like there's different things that people have looked at as far as um, supplements that kind of help balance them. What I'll say is most of the studies have been sort of up or down, like not really conclusive, but that's the same thing I'll tell my patients is that I've had patients that say that that worked to turn them around. It really helped them. So it's not a bad thing to try. Um, you do have to give it enough time. Most of those things aren't going to happen right off the bat. Like you have to usually use them for several weeks. Um, some things actually can kind of make things a little bit worse for some patients. Just your bodies are different and your chemistry is different. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. The same thing can be said for uh, acupressure, acupuncture, those kinds of methods as well. Same thing. I've had lots of patients that that has really helped them and others that felt like that kind of, you know, provoked some of their symptoms. So it's um, a worthwhile endeavor, but you kind of have to go into it the same way with an open mind. Um, As far as prescription medications, there's hormone replacement therapy, which got a really bad rep um, because of a lot of media surrounding this one study that happened in the 80s. And then since then, tons of studies have happened and actually extension studies from that initial study happened. And we've really come to a better understanding of hormone replacement therapy where we actually can say very confidently for most women who don't have risk factors, 
hormone replacement therapy can actually be very beneficial in the initial years of menopause. It can help them through the worst of the worst and also continue to protect their heart and bones in those initial years, right? Like we can safely say that. Now, then there's a lot of caveats. Are you a safe patient? Do you have risk factors? How long are you going to be using it? You know, are we extending this into later later years? Like, so there's all these other aspects of it, but we really need to get away from being so negative about hormonal replacement therapy because just like any other medication, everything comes with potential risks. It just depends if you are the right fit for that, right? So it's just a matter of figuring that out. Um, and then I'll even say that there's a non-hormonal. So for the patients who really can't take hormones because they have risk factors or they're really like not comfortable with that as an option, there is an entire segment of, of medications. So there, this is this is actually another kind of tricky topic because there are medications that you usually use for anti-depression or anti-anxiety, which comes with its own stigmas. Um, but there's tons of studies that show that it works for menopausal symptoms. So it really reduces hot flashes. It helps with sleep. It helps with anxiety, all of these other things that you might be dealing with in menopause. But some people get a little anxious about it as well, because I don't want to be on something that I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. I don't, I don't want to be on a psychiatric medication. It's like, no, no, no. You have to understand that we're using it for a different purpose, but it does tie into that. And that's not actually that far-fetched because we know our hormones and our brain neurotransmitter and functions do interact, right? Like we have so many examples of that PMS, PMDD, postpartum depression, like all these other things that happen because of hormone fluctuations. So there's an entire category of medications that focus on that. It is so interesting to me that like hormone replacement therapy and hormonal birth control, we've been talking about this, mm -hmm. like we had an episode on it a little while ago, and just things that typically help people with uteruses are so demonized. And then when we don't use them, we experience a lot of really shitty symptoms. Mm -hmm. But like, do we talk shit about erectile dysfunction medication? Like, I have not heard a lot of rhetoric around, like, well, that's really bad for your body. Mm -hmm. Like, right. I've, I don't think I've heard anything could, ever. Could you give a brief overview of what hormone replacement therapy is? Because I've definitely heard of it, and until you mentioned it just now, it completely slipped my mind as a thing. Yeah. So so it's interesting because so we talk about birth control all the time, right? Like, we take that for 20, 30 years of our life without ever questioning it. It's a combination of estrogen and progesterone that prevents pregnancy. That's what contraception is. That's what hormone, hormone contraception is typically. Um, hormone replacement therapy is a combination of estrogen and progesterone. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's basically all it is. It's a different formulation. It's a different balance of amount of hormone. It's usually in a slightly different method. It's not usually just a one pill. It's usually a pill and a patch or a pill and a topical. There are combined pills. There's a lot of different methods. There are also lots of different doses. Um, there are typically in a lower range of hormones than even birth control pills. So it's yeah. kind of interesting that they, like one gets, you know, you're right, both get kind of demonized in some ways, but like one gets such a stigma and the other one is sort of like accepted as part of, you know, our usual life, people take it and do it. Um, but then you get like real, you know, people get really heated about like, oh my God, you're on hormone replacement therapy, you're going to get breast cancer. It's like, okay, well, you know, that's, well, that's not necessarily right. true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So it's kind of like, replenishing and balancing the fluctuations right. that you're going through. Right. And it's not meant to bring your hormone level back to like a premenopausal range. Mm -hmm. It's, I describe it to my patients as a buffer, like as, as far as things going up and down, it's trying to buffer that change and like buffer that loss. So it's a little bit more manageable. You're just trying to cushion that. So it's not so um, dramatic for, for what's what your body's experiencing. And you said it varies, but how long do people tend to be on hormone replacement therapy if that's what they choose to do? Everyone's different. Um, I would say the the most problematic time is probably in the first sort of five years surrounding menopause. Five to seven is what they kind of they describe. I've had some women go on it for much longer. They've tried to come off, and you know they they experience a, a ton of symptoms. It's affecting their quality of life. It's affecting their relationships. All these other things that they're doing and you know, they opt to stay on it for a little bit longer. And again, it's one of those things where we revisit their risk factors every year. We make sure that it's a safe thing to continue. We try to come down to the lowest dose possible. We might try some alternatives along the way. 
Um, so it's an active conversation and it's very individualized. Mm -hmm. So many options out there, which is so relieving, um, Mm -hmm. for different avenues you can take to relieve these symptoms. So that's great to hear. Do we want to get into how we can like prepare? Yes. As mid to late 20 year olds or 30 year olds. So what can we be doing in our life right now to prepare for menopause? And is there anything we can do to make it better? (laughs) A lot of it is actually governed by your internal chemistry, genetics, you know, things you can't control, right? Like when you first got your period and when, if you had pregnancies or when your mom went through menopause because of the genetic factor, right? So there is a lot that you can't necessarily control. Um, I would say things that you can do is being very mindful of your cycle. So whether it's tracking it through an app or really kind of understanding or paying attention to your bodies during your cycles, um, you know, if you are on a hormone replacement pill or for like a birth control pill, fine, just still be mindful of how your body is even on that pill, because that's not necessarily something that, you know, shuts down what's going on in our bodies. It just sort of, again, same thing sort of buffers what's, what's happening. So you can still experience differences and changes of, you know, um, breast tenderness and that breast changes how your uterus feels do you feel you know bloating how your moods are um uh, vaginal dryness pain with intercourse all those kinds of things can still be pretty present even in our pre pre menopausal years and then as we get into peri you'll be more cognizant of those changes as things approach gotcha and is it The reason that uh, it's important to know when we started our period, is that just because that's when, you know, we started dispersing eggs? (laughs) Like, what what is the importance of knowing, like, or of the first start of your period with menopause? Yeah, because it it sort of um, captures sort of what's our window um, for some women. And again, these can be varied. Some people do have longer windows and shorter windows. But it's sort of that reproductive window like of, of when you start releasing eggs and all of those kinds of things um, gives us a better impression of when you might start experiencing menopausal symptoms. So can you predict then, like by me telling you when I started my period, like potentially If when... I tell you to the minute, <laughs> kind of like my birth chart, you know? Yeah. Like I if I tell you I'm a Scorpio, um, can you tell me when I'll go through we, menopause? We are actually starting to develop, like there is research on tests of blood, blood tests and hormone levels that we can actually test that can give us a better uh, evaluation of when, you know, how close we are to menopause or when we're in menopause. Um, We're not quite there yet. And again, because people are so different, if it was a fixed thing, right? Mm. If we knew it was a fixed thing, yes, I could predict that. But because people are different and people might have a different window and there's probably different categories of this, I can't necessarily say that, right? Like we can't, we don't have that. Um, but, But those are factors that play into our... Um, how how our length of reproductive window and then also the length of our menopausal transition. Gotcha. That's fair. So is there anything that we do that research has shown maybe makes menopause happen earlier or delays it at all? Or is that all just genetic and variable? There's a lot of talk. There's, you know, there's a lot of, um, I guess, they're, they're looking into it. There's different things that they talk about. There was actually recently, I was looking at an article that someone posted about like, if you have more sex, does that delay menopause? Right. Um, and it was an interesting theory and I, we don't have a conclusion on it at all. They looked at, um, people that were having intercourse, whether or not they were in a relationship, like more frequently versus less frequently. And then when do they end up reaching menopause? And it was an interesting question. Um, And the theory behind it was that, yeah, more sex delays menopause. And they were like, it's sort of tricking your body into thinking that you're sort of still reproductive. Um, But they don't have any conclusions on that, right? Like, so I'm not like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get freaky people. <laughs> um, not saying you shouldn't either, but like, I'm not going to say that that is going to necessarily influence menopause for sure. Um, but there are a lot of questions about that, like what can you do and what can you what can you do to pro- to um, put it off and and delay it. Uh, but a lot of it is, like I said, out of our control. Mm-hmm. Right. So, is there a point, hopefully, post menopause when like those symptoms, the like 
harder symptoms are gone and you're just like rocking through life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of people will typically get to a point where the symptoms are very minimal and manageable. Most people will. Um, it, again, the window is different. It's sort of like if you started earlier with symptoms and then you went through menopause and then you might have a shorter window after, um, if your symptoms started after some women really don't even notice that they go through menopause. Like it's not like a big thing that happens too. It's real. I don't think um, I'll be one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Everything in get, my life so far. Yeah, exactly. I get someone, some of those patients every once in a while. I was like, don't tell anyone that. Like, yeah. Yeah. No one will like you if you tell them that. It's not um, how you make friends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, so it, you know, it does eventually diminish, but I'll often tell patients things like stress, can mm -hmm. trigger those symptoms again. So it was really interesting at the start of COVID, I got a lot of calls from my perimenopausal and postmenopausal patients being like, I was fine. Like what happened? Like all of a sudden everything is crazy again. I have like crazy hot flashes. I'm not sleeping. What's happening? I was like, stress is affecting you. It's affecting your body. Um, and so, you know, that's another, another thing to be mind, again, mindful of that you might go through periods of time where if you're going through more stress or you're not quite feeling well, or your immune system is, you know, um, dealing with other things that you might notice some of these menopausal symptoms kind of creep up again. Mm -hmm. um, but most people do eventually kind of get to a point, point where they can coast. Right. What's like the minimum amount of time that you can experience <laughs> symptoms and go through menopause and then come out on the other side? <laughs> get a little I scared. know it won't be me. <laughs> well, you know what? Your body might actually take it as like a good thing. It's like, oh, fucking finally, yeah, these hormones are getting out of here. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Just take the whole thing. <laughs> Maybe my uterus will, will leave shrivel. your body. <laughs> She's been through enough. Um, that, that again, it varies. Again, mm -hmm. some people don't notice any symptoms and others. Okay. I would say, you know, like they say they can, it can last anywhere from five to seven years, but the intensity, the frequency, the, how, um, impactful it is on one's life. So often when I'm dealing with menopausal, perimenopausal women, like I'm talking to them, like when, you know, do you want treatment? Do you want to do anything about this? It's, it's me asking them, is it disrupting your life? Like, is it affecting you? Are you okay? Can you manage this? Are you okay? Or is it really messing things up? Like, is it like screwing things up with your family? Is it like making it difficult for you to work? Are you not getting enough sleep? Are you anxious and like can't function? Like, don't suffer through that. We have solutions for that. But if you're okay, if you're like, okay, yeah, I got another hot flash, da da da, we laugh it off and it's fine. You know, even if it's multiple times a day, people's personalities and people's bodies and people's um, approaches to all of us is very different. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's just a matter of whether or not, again, it's, is it disruptive? And then if it is, that's sort of what I just remind them, listen, if it ever gets to the point where it's not manageable or disruptive, we have options. Let's right. talk about that. In your work and with your patients, what's the most common, like first symptom that you see that people are like, this is happening. What does this mean? And you're like, oh, that's menopause. Um, probably the most common one it varies. Sometimes hot flashes. Uh -huh. Like hot flashes, nice with irritability. Um, and then like missing periods or weird period patterns. My period's getting shorter. My cycle's weird. It's not like as predictable. It's, you know, spotting afterwards, whatever. It could be lots of different like period changes. Uh -huh. um, the one that comes later, and we didn't talk about this yet, is about um, like vaginal dryness and like sexual kind of stuff too. Like lower libido or... Um, the lower libido can come earlier, but like pain with intercourse, discomfort with intercourse, like doesn't quite feel right. I don't really want to do this anymore kind of thing. Um, that happens typically later for, for most patients. We are terrible sex podcast hosts. I know. We did not ask we about the sexual symptoms. Hit on that one. <laughs> so the Sexual symptoms. Let's do it now. Yeah. With vaginal dryness, I feel like lube makes a lot of sense there are there other things that you can use mm -hmm. to combat that and then with the libido is that just like sorry your libido is no. just gonna keep going so down so libido is complicated let's start there libido is complicated and for women it's extra complicated because there's so many aspects to it right like if you're not feeling right if you are anxious if you're if you're stressed if you're dealing with other things um you're not going to be present and so libido really can't kick off, right? So that there's like a whole psychologic element to it for women. Um, and then there's also the 
dryness or discomfort aspect of it. If it's not something you're looking forward to, like, again, you're not going to want it. So when I talk to patients, I'll ask them, are you sexually active? Are you having any discomfort or issues with intercourse? And if they say like, oh, not really, like, well, is that because it's not comfortable? Like, are you having a problem like there, like that you want to talk about? Would you rather, would you like to be more active? Um, and it's because many times they kind of put it aside. A lot of women put it aside because they're like, I don't really like it. It's not enjoying, it's not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable because it's uncomfortable for me. So there's all these aspects to it that you have to kind of address and kind of figure out, um, with, with people too, like, you know, relationships change, especially even married couples, like, you know, people have been together for a long time, like your body is changing, like, you know, how you relate your intimacy, all of that kind of plays a role for libido as well. There are things you can do for libido. So again, hormone balancing type of stuff, testosterone plays a role. There are actually medications on the market, female Viagra type stuff that's available for patients to help promote and, and support their libido. Um, a lot of people just need to know that, right? Like, again, it's one of those things that we put on the wayside. Like, we're not supposed to think about it. There's a stigma about, you know, wanting to be sexual or interested in sexuality. Like, so especially as you age, right? Especially as you age, like, why should that matter to you anymore? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, it should always matter to you. Because I'm breathing. <laughs> it's part of your personhood. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's part of your personhood. So like, so just about, figuring out like what aspect of it is it that you need to correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the vaginal dryness goes, the vagina is incredibly hormone dependent. It's very estrogen dependent. So when our hormone levels are dropping with menopause, that tissue changes and it's not the same. It's mm-hmm. not as, um, it's not producing as much moisture. It's not as elastic. It's not as um, uh, tough. Like the layers of, of, of tissue are not as thick. So it's more easily irritable, irritated and, and, and distressed. So all those changes happen with the change of hormone. So yes, lubricant first step, like make sure you're using something that's going to promote all of those things, make, make things a little bit more um, uh, lubricated and, and, and comfortable so that there's less friction, less irritation. Um, and then, then you want things that aren't going to irritate or mess up the pH balance. So that's all important about the lubricant. Um, and then beyond that, it's about correcting the hormone imbalance. So there's actually uh, tons of great data about how local vaginal estrogen is really safe, like really safe because it's so local to the vagina and it can really help that tissue be um, as good as it was before that loss happened. So like, again, promoting those glands, promoting that moisture, promoting that elasticity, all those things that you don't want to lose. Um, so there are options for it. Again, it's about the comfort of talking about it. It's about wanting it. It's about um, addressing those needs. Mm-hmm. How does vaginal discharge change? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Mm. So it changes. I'm it can okay change in a lot changes. of different ways. <laughs> Typically, it decreases um, just oh. because there's less moisture. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So the vagina is really interesting. It's an entire microbiome. Like it has its own environment. It has its own balance of bacteria, happy bacteria, healthy bacteria, okay bacteria, and then like yeast even, like all those things live there. They're supposed to be there. It's supposed to be, they're all supposed to be kind of in like a happy medium. Mm -hmm. And then when the estrogen changes, those things can get out of whack, like up and down, you know, sort of uh, not be in that equilibrium anymore. The healthy sort of policing bacteria that keeps things in check often drops because the pH changes when the estrogen drops. So again, discharge goes down, but then other discharges can come up like bacterial Aww. infections or yeast infections. I so again, it's about correcting those things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about correcting those things. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, more women than you realize, even not ones not going through menopause, can often have pH imbalances of their vaginal microbiome. So treating that directly, whether it be by using friendly products or making sure that you're sort of trying to shift that balance back to normal. Um, With menopause, again, the underlying problem is the change in hormones. So that's one of the things you can correct. The other thing you can correct is making sure there isn't that 
um, pH imbalance when you're using things or when, um, when, when naturally it's changing, you're trying to get it back up to um, where it wants to be, where it needs to be, like by using products that kind of promote that. Gotcha. And when you were saying localized estrogen, what does that look like in your body? Like, what are you using to have? Um, it's often a cream that you insert with an applicator, uh, mm. typically two times a week. There's also tablets. Um, there's also a ring that stays in there and just sort of eludes estrogen, kind of like okay, the new like ring with birth control. Yeah. There's like an estrogen ring for postmenopausal patients. Um, there's an oral tablet as well that also promotes it. So there's all different ways <laughs> that yeah. you can, can approach that. Wow. I cannot believe we forgot, first of all, to ask about the sexual things. Um, that, wow, that's so many, so many things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would you say is the most like stigmatized through menopause? Like what isn't talked about and is felt like shameful for someone who is going through menopause? Um, I would say it's two things. One, the sex, Mm -hmm. like the intimacy, the ability to be comfortable and enjoy sex, right? Like, because enjoying sex is supposed to be shameful to begin with, no matter what the age. And then beyond menopause, it's just like, what? Like, (laughs) you know, absurd. (laughs) You're you're whatever age and you want to still have sex and enjoy it. Like, that's crazy. Um, So there's still that whole aspect of it. And the second part, I would say, is the mental health aspect of it. Um, Because I think that's stigmatized no matter what uh, at any point in our lives. Um, And I think particularly also around menopause in the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And what what is most affected with mental health through menopause? So I think it's interesting. There's, there's this, there is a connection, right? Like, like I mentioned before, right? We know about PMS. Oh, you're bitchy, you're irritable, like whatever your period's coming. That's real. That's not like, that's not because you're just uncomfortable because you have a period. Like that's real. That's happening. Mm -hmm. So there, there's something happening with hormone levels and neurotransmitters in our brain. It's a chemical issue that happens naturally to almost all women. And then the intensity of that varies for some people. It's more intense. So there's premenstrual dysphoric syndrome, which is PMDD, which is even beyond PMS. It's like, it's more severe. It's more severe, like depression type, anxiety type symptoms surrounding their cycle. And it's very hormonal. These patients know, they're like, I know when it's going to come because I know my period's going to start on this day. My moods are going to be this way this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's postpartum depression after having a baby and the hormone changes and things that are happening. It's not because like whatever things are tough afterwards about having a baby. There's clearly things mentally that are going on as well that contribute to that feeling. So the same kind of thing happens when our hormones change through menopause. So often I will, when I, when I've talked to a patient, if it's a patient I've known for a long time who mentioned, Oh yeah, I've got PMS, PMTD. I've had, I did have postpartum, whatever, like they're probably more prone to having more fluctuations in their neurotransmitters and the way that their moods are, their anxiety levels, depression levels surrounding menopause. Um, I'll also tell patients a lot of times what it is, is you might have like almost all of us have some level of baseline anxiety, depression, just like mood stuff on a day-to-day, right? Like dealing with our stress, et cetera, dealing with life. But we cope, we deal, right? We figure out how we can overcome and we manage it. When it comes to menopause and then you have all these biochemical things happening, your coping is not working as well. It's not happening as much. Something that you probably would have dealt with fine like two years ago, like during menopause, you can't. Like it's just not, you can't catch up. Like you can't help it. Um, And a lot of women have to be told and like validated that that's real. Like that's not them failing. It's not them you know, losing it, can't like hold it together. It's not them. It's not anything wrong with them. It's just, it's part of that hormonal change Mm -hmm. that's influencing their coping and their ability to manage stressors. Um, And so it's just about paying attention to that. Mm -hmm. I imagine the people in your life also impact your mental health significantly going through menopause. I think about 
like you were saying earlier, we make a lot of jokes about PMS and it's like, oh, you're so irritable, whatever, like mm. one-off jokes. Yeah. But then I think about how we talk about menopausal people and it's like, well, they're really irritable, whatever. And I think about like a mom being there and like her husband and her kids talking about how irritable she is and how it's like mm. you can't do anything. Mm. And it's like, I think about that because like my dad and I used to talk about my mom, like she was, my mom's not going through menopause, but it's like, I don't know, I feel like we tend to gang up on moms in particular around those kinds of things. And so I think about how like, yes, you are irritable and you are going through all of those things and it probably is impacting the people around you, but then they're like reflecting it back to you in the worst way possible. And I don't yeah. know what the solution is for that. Like how can families and the people around you be supportive and is there something you can say to them? Like how do we navigate that? That is a great question. That is an, that's an excellent point of view. Um, I think it has to come with education one, it has to come with, you know, mom herself just being like, hey, this is what's happening. Let me tell you. Let me explain to you what's happening. I can't always control it. I need you to help me through it. If I'm having, like, the bad moments, like, this is what's happening. But she can only do that if she's been validated herself, right? Like, okay. so she's got to be empowered to understand what she's going through to be able to share that with her family. And then that's another reason why I feel like these things need to be less stigmatized because yeah, it's not just about women talking to each other about it. Like what we're going through. It's about our social circles, right? It's about men understanding what women are going through. And that's why like even young, young men understanding what a period is and what, what PMS is and all those kinds of things, what's happening to a girl to have her be and feel that way and to not stigmatize her and like be a, and like antagonize her or like, you know, be negative about what she's going through because and getting up on her because it's something that she can't control. It's something that's biologic. And so by educating literally generations, um, I think that's where we get ahead of this and where we make it like a better, a better environment all around. God, what a deep, dark hole that could be if you aren't even validated in what you're feeling and then mm -hmm. everyone around you is also saying what a bitch you are. Mm -hmm. Like, because also validation yeah. starts with your doctor too. Mm -hmm. So like even yeah. one step removed outside of the person going through menopause, it's like you need the practitioner to also validate like your body is doing things that are normal and natural mm -hmm. and all of these things that come with it are normal and natural. And it's hard. And it's hard. So what... If you could say one thing to people who haven't gone through menopause yet, so like 20s and 30s, what would that be? Like, what is one thing that we should know and take away about menopause? Um, yeah, in our 20s and 30s. I'd say um, our bodies are what they are, and hormones have such an influence in it in it regardless male or female right but for females specifically and that changes in such a way as you're approaching menopause and it, the changes start happening internally probably earlier than we even recognize and especially as a society that we don't talk about that it's important to kind of educate yourself and learn those changes and be open to them and talk about them and be sort of mindful of what's happening because that's going to make that process so much different than it was for our mothers mm -hmm. and our grandmothers and all these other women that came before us, because that wasn't something that they were um, attuned to or educated about or allowed to even discuss or talk about really mm -hmm. even amongst themselves, right? Like just not stuff that you talk about even to your mom or to your, you know, to your aunts or like to your grandparents. Like you just don't talk about what you're going through as a woman. Like that is a very personal thing. It's supposed to be a very solitary thing. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is really acknowledging that there is a community and there are women going through this. And like, like you mentioned, doctors that validate you and can guide you through this. Um, and other support people that can guide you through this and just being sort of aware of that, mm -hmm. um, aware of what, what you're going through and then what, you know, what you can collectively find. Right. 
the solitary point that you mentioned, I feel like that hits so many things with women and how their bodies can change throughout their lifetime. And it's like all of this struggle and pain and stigma and shame, whatever, it has been such a solitary struggle yeah. in some ways. And that's, you're told that that's how you should keep it. I mean, I remember my mom and my grandma would like whisper about menopause or whisper about like still being kind of on their period or something. And that's just what you see growing up. Mm -hmm. If you have parents that are going through periods or menopause, it's like, it's such a quiet thing that mm -hmm. if only we can make it a louder thing, hopefully yeah. it can get easier in more ways yeah. than one. Mm -hmm. So thank yeah. you. Thank so you so much. Yeah. Where can You're our so listeners welcome. continue connecting with you or learning from you beyond this episode? Um, so my website is drmatthewsgyn.com. Same as my Instagram handle. Um, like I said, I post things on there that are relevant to these things. I'm happy to answer questions. I'm always happy to do talks. Um, and, and, you know, kind of do more education. Um, I'm also a medical advisor for Playground, which is, like I said, a very um, consciously made uh, personal lubricant that kind of aids women that are going through all these kinds of things as well. Um, so uh, any of those um, venues would be a way to reach me. Perfect. Lube is for life. Lube is for life. <laughs> yeah. <Good> life. <laughs> cover top is askew oh my cover top my cover top <laughs> where's your brooch <laughs> i sweat through my cover top today at work oh nice yeah then you just but it's nice because you have another shirt underneath so you can take it off put it over the air dryers in the bathroom <laughs> oh <laughs> my god i have the funniest really quick tangent okay. story so this is your body you can, it I can, can be a really long tangent story if you want it to be <laughs> so in college i tried to get a job at i i don't really remember what it's called, but it's a correctional facility down the road from uh, our college. Mm -hmm. And so I went in for my interview, but I was terrified and because I'm just bad at being interviewed and asked questions. So I was sweating through my shirt. So I parked my car in front of this fence and I was like, okay, I'm here. I'm just going to. I'm going to take off my shirt in front of the air conditioner because I'm going to dry off these sweat stains. Yeah. And then when I was taking the tour while I was being interviewed, they're like, and right here is the courtyard. And so I had parked in front of the courtyard. And got naked. And got naked and was like airing out my <laughs> shirt, not knowing that this fence was were you out, into... You were out of your car doing this? No, I was like okay. sitting in my front seat, but like in my front seat, mm -hmm. I was just in my brr. Tits out. Tits out. Hell yeah, airing out my get shirt. your tits out. <laughs> in front of the courtyard where they were all outside. <laughs> and like I didn't, I couldn't see in, but I'm pretty sure they could see out. Put on a show. <laughs> I sure did. Anyway, so that's my long story with- Did you get the job? No. You should have kept him out longer. <laughs> I was like, Give me one more shot. One I have something shot. to show you. I'm coming out pantsless. <laughs> I need to go dry something. <laughs> Can I use your restroom? Mm. My pants are wet. <laughs> My panties. My seat is wet. <laughs> My undercarriage is a damp as hell. Oh, damn. I got a swamp ass, is what we used to call it in rowing. Swamp ass. Swamp ass. Anyway, it's hot flashes. That's how this yes. relates. There you go. <laughs> That's not fair to compare hot flashes to swamp ass. No, just me sweating. A oh, lot. <laughs> <laughs> what if swamp ass is more common in menopause? Then uh, I'm a frequent flyer. <laughs> <laughs> to the swamp. To the swamp. The crocodiles know me well. <laughs> Just give out a little whistle. They're like, oh, them. Ah, She's here a lot. Welcome home. <laughs> Come in. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to wrap this around. Thank you, Dr. Shama, for being on the podcast today. You're a true gem uh, for answering all of our questions and walking us through menopause. Mm -hmm. And thank you to our listeners for hanging out because you did and you made it all the way to the end of this episode. And now you're prepped. Yeah. You're prepped and ready. Prepped. <laughs> I don't know why I needed this. Couldn't even see it. Yeah.
she but did a two you, finger dip a two finger dip <laughs> like you would in some peanut butter yeah mm, mm. uh if you loved this episode say thank you <laughs> out say loud thank you. right now uh share this episode with somebody that could benefit from knowing this information yeah. which is anybody who has a vagina or anybody who knows somebody who has a vagina mm-hmm. this is stuff we need to know yeah. um go ahead and <laughs> just remembering when you thought that a uterus shriveled up and fell out of your body <laughs> i didn't think it fell out i think it shriveled up sorry if you're not using something yeah wouldn't it, it make more sense it's like okay so fight or flight right when you're in fight your energy and all of your resources go towards only your vital organs yeah i don't but that doesn't mean that they just shut your mouth (laughs) you're right you're probably right anyways head on over to apple Podcasts to rate review and subscribe to honey do me if this is going to be the episode that gets you to leave a written review go ahead and leave a peanut or peanut butter (laughs) a peanut for emma's two-finger dip yes um (laughs) i should make a dip now and call it emma's two-finger dip that's so gross. Super Bowl Sunday coming your way. <laughs> Emma's two finger dip. I have long ass fucking nails too. <laughs> that and the Norgasm method. Stay tuned to learn <laughs> more about that. Uh, you can also rate us on Spotify and you can email us if you want to. If okay. you want to talk. Uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>